Good evening. As Becca introduced me, I'm Will, and I'm one of the ministry associates here at Chalmers. We're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26, which can be found in 980, in the, in the page 980 of the Church Bibles. Philippians 1, verses 12 to 26. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Will, thank you very much, and thank you to Becca uh, for leading. Let's just be quiet for a moment and pray that God will speak to us from his word. Our Father, our prayer is simply that, that you would speak to us from your word as we reflect on the testimony of the Apostle Paul of what it means to be a Christian. And we ask that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, we've heard tonight from Reuben his testimony of what it means to be a Christian. And appropriately, we are at a point in this New Testament letter where we hear tonight from the Apostle Paul his testimony of what it means to be a Christian. Just two simple headings tonight. We'll look at Paul's circumstances and what they tell us about what it means to be a Christian. And then we'll draw out what are the big principles from his circumstances. So firstly, his circumstances. Read with me if you've got a Bible open. It'll help if you do. Uh, verse 12 of uh, the passage, just a reminder of uh, the page number 980 in the church 
uh, Bibles. Verse 12, I want you to know, Paul is writing to all the Christians in this church in a place called Philippi, I want you to know, brothers, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, Paul is in prison in Rome on account of his faith. These are his circumstances. What has happened to me has really served to, and the key words, advance the gospel. Now, we might reflect tonight on how it is often the case that through suffering and difficulties, the gospel, the good news of Jesus that Reuben was speaking about, goes forward, whether in someone's life or in a bigger scale. That would be a helpful talk, I guess. But that's not the primary emphasis here. Our focus needs to be on what Paul's words reveal about Paul. Paul has a depth of love for Jesus and a commitment to serve Jesus that the most important thing to Paul in his life is the advance of the gospel. He accepts the circumstances he is in. He trusts God in the circumstances he is in, if through them the gospel advances. If I was to get Reuben back up and say, Reuben, what is the most important thing in your life? His answer would be, well, we heard his answer. Jesus. And the advance of his gospel. The person that asked Reuben at that dinner party and he had no option but to agree. Will you come to church with me? How would they answer the question, what is the most important thing in your life, Jesus, and the advance of the gospel? Jesus, and that people hear the good news that he offers humanity about forgiveness and that they put their faith in him. Paul's circumstances he accepted. He didn't relish them. He's in prison. He accepted them, though, because they advanced the gospel. Read with me verse 13, how his circumstances advanced the gospel. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Those who were guarding him were hearing the gospel, probably because Paul is speaking to everyone he can about Jesus that Jesus is the reason he is in prison. But more than just his words, the Spirit of Jesus Christ is taking Paul's words and convicting people such that they do not simply hear, they listen. And it must have been the Spirit of God at work for these Roman soldiers to come to know that Paul was there because of Christ. Now, let's just pause and think about the circumstances God has put us in, or circumstances God has put us in in the past, or circumstances God may put us in in the future. There are people we know, we were praying for them, in some parts of the world where, like Paul, they are at risk and in danger for their lives. Yet, 
they accept that is where God has put them, and their desire is to see the advance of the gospel. Most of us are not in that kind of situation. God doesn't want us there. But we might well be, as Christians, in circumstances we would rather not be in. Perhaps a job that is difficult. Perhaps in families where there are no other Christians. And the cost of being a Christian in such a family is real. Perhaps you live in a town or have moved to a town. Or in a street or in a block of retirement flats. One of these McCarthy and Stone luxury living for the elderly with a communal common room, and it's amazing how many people have become Christians. The circumstances. Very often in life, we find ourselves in circumstances that are difficult, not what we would want or desire. Let's always ask the question, has God put me in these circumstances for the sake of the advance of the gospel? Because what matters to us most, what matters to us more than our comfort is the advance of the gospel. Now, I think this could work out in a number of other ways. Perhaps it's a period of illness. It's hard. We have somebody in the church family. His name is Dick, and he wouldn't mind. Oh, I'm going to just tell you anyway. Dick is desperate to be with the Lord Jesus because he is physically so frail and so old. But Dick embraces the discomfort and the circumstances he is in because he believes God still has work for him to do on the earth. And he is telling people about the Lord. He is dying before their eyes with faith. Consider the circumstances you are in. Are there opportunities to tell people about Jesus? Are there people who, like the people around Paul, if you were not there, people would not hear? All that Paul has done is taken the opportunities afforded to him. He has done it when the risks are high. And the risks are high too for us. The risks of being shunned. But just listen to what Reuben said. When God gives you the courage to ask, God gives you the courage to ask. And he is behind it all. And Reuben came to church, and I don't think I preached a particularly good sermon. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit can do. 
Why was it that night when Roger preached that sermon that Reuben thought it was just about him because it was? God is at work. Accept the circumstances we are in. Tell people about Jesus. Because what matters to us is the advance of the gospel. Now, how else have his circumstances advanced the gospel? Verse 4, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Because of Paul's example, other people are more confident in the Lord and bolder in speaking the word, the gospel, without fear. That's just obvious. So think of tonight, if you have dinner this week with someone and it just pops into your mind, how about if I ask them to come to church because it's going to be really hard for them not to, and you suddenly remember Reuben's testimony. That gets you over the line. The inspiration of others. The help of others. And because Paul is in prison, many people are speaking the gospel. Now, within a church family, the challenge and encouragement of seeing others speak about Jesus is inspiring. Whenever I have a Zoom call or whatever with one of our partners in Scotland or around the world, I find that their example inspires me. I find Paul's example inspires me. What Paul says next, though, is striking or strange. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put there for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I mean, that's an extraordinary thing to say. There are people who, out of love for Paul, are inspired to speak about Jesus. But there are also people who, as a result of his imprisonment, are speaking more boldly, not out of love for Paul, but out of envy and rivalry. And worse, they mean to afflict Paul in his imprisonment. How? Well, that he is sidelined. They are now prominent, and they want to rub it in. Now, this is bad, really bad. There is a lack of love and sincerity there is a lack of goodwill instead envy and rivalry. But listen to Paul's attitude. And do not conclude it is elusive to any of us. What then? What am I going to see? What am I going to write to you Philippians? Am I going to tell you to have nothing to do with them? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, in that I rejoice. Now, what he doesn't give an inch on is what they are preaching. They are preaching the gospel. There is only one gospel that saves people. Christ died for our sins. If they are preaching that, though, and their motives are wrong and hurtful, Paul will not call them out. He will rejoice. He will rejoice that the gospel is proclaimed. Now, let's pause there 
as we wrestle to get our heads around this. Because what's really important is that we don't hear this and gosh, that's amazing, I can't be like that. That's, n- that's not open to us as an excuse. I think what Paul describes here is really common. Not his attitude, which is not common, but rivalry and ambition. Rivalry and ambition between churches or between church leaders in a city. Whose church is best? Within churches. The horrible attitude that when another church is struggling or a leader is laid aside for some reason, we are glad. Glad because they are down and we are more prominent. It's horrible, but it's common. Envy and rivalry within churches, within CUs, hand on heart. Do we rejoice in the gospel gifts of others? Do we rejoice when someone comes along who is more gifted as a Bible teacher? If we are laid aside for a time for whatever reason, are we glad that the work goes on without us? And you see that the Word of God is not trying to guilt trip us ever. It's trying to gently persuade us that we can and will be glad. Are we willing to let go of stuff, let others lead, stand back? And like Paul, even when people out of envy and rivalry put us down, whether on a blog or in chat that we pick up or overhear, or speak ill of us, or we are in a conversation where people are being spoken ill of, other Christians, will we be the one in that conversation that either absorbs it like a sponge or quells it with our talk? Paul could have written, as I said, a very different paragraph at this point in the letter. He could have asked the church in Philippi to side with him against these people who sought to afflict him, but he didn't. Why did he not do it? He didn't do it because had he done it, the gospel would not have advanced. Now, we might conclude that Paul's attitude is extraordinary, but it shouldn't be, and uh, I would say hand on heart, it cannot be an extraordinary attitude if we are to see real gospel progress in this city or in Scotland. Paul is absolutely clear that Christ is proclaimed, though. It's not anything goes. But where Christ is proclaimed and by whom, even if the motives are wrong, then he is glad. Verses 19 to 20, Paul reflects on his immediate future. Will he be set free, or is this the end of his life? For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, I think at this moment, it would not be inappropriate for us to think of the two or 3,000 Christians in the country that is all over the news. frightened for their lives, 
Let's hear this and quietly in our hearts pray for them. That they will not be ashamed and with full courage they will honor Christ whether by life or by day. For us, not to be ashamed of Jesus, to have courage. And we need courage too, and to honor Christ in life and in death. It's quite an example the apostle gives us, or is it? Let me take you back to the prayer in chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. It is, I think, an answer to that prayer that Paul prayed for them in his own life. that he is able to rejoice in his circumstances to speak of Jesus at personal risk, to be glad that others have taken his place where he is laid aside, to even accept that those who speak the gospel out of rivalry can be used by God and to look at tomorrow and the day after and say through your prayers, I am confident I will honor Christ in my life and in my death. Will you take up the prayer of chapter 1, verses 9 to 11 over these coming weeks and pray it? For us as a church, off the back of a global pandemic when the church doors are open again and most people in Scotland have no heed of Jesus, and I would say to you as you pray that prayer, because it is a prayer that leads us to do it. We can because it's God's power that is the answer to prayer that enables us to do it. Now, let's turn from what was going on to the principle in verses 19 to 26. This is our uh, second bit. The principle. If I had to pick one verse that summarized Paul's testimony, it would be verse 21. It's a great testimony for a Christian. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It is a great invitation, if you're not a Christian, to consider just the extraordinary difference that Jesus has made to one man's life. Reuben would tell you his story. Some of us can tell you how much he's changed. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now focus on what's at the heart of that phrase. Leave the bookends to one side. Focus on the word Christ. 
Jesus is everything to Paul. Jesus is. Not his work. Not speaking of him. As much as him. One cross-reference. Cross-references are a bad idea. Uh, but here's one. It's always good to break your rule. Chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. Paul is speaking about his own life again, his testimony, if you like. Follow with me as I read. If you can look at that. Uh, chapter 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. Notice he's not saying anything about that I may do this for him, so that I may know Jesus. If I could give away everything, my freedom even, for knowing Jesus, it surpasses all. Jesus is everything to Paul. In what way? Now, our default when we think of the Apostle Paul. What does it mean that Jesus is everything to him? Surfing, speaking, they are all important. But the most important thing to Paul is knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Not knowing about him, but knowing him. And that is the heart of a Christian's testimony, knowing Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Reuben concluded his testimony by saying, I gave my life to Christ. Christ, Jesus, became the most important person in his life. We come to know Jesus personally through faith. Faith is turning to Jesus for the righteousness of God that through him is mine. A Christian is someone who is found in Christ, having a righteousness not of their own, but one that comes to faith in Christ, a righteousness from God. To be in Christ is a living, supernatural, experiential relationship with Jesus knowing the power of new life in him, sharing in his sufferings for the sake of the gospel, and looking forward to physical resurrection. Or to put it more simply, what is the most important thing in your life? Knowing Jesus. A Christian is not fundamentally someone who does stuff. A Christian is not some but he fundamentally who even lives for Christ. A Christian is someone fundamentally who knows Jesus as their Savior. Now, just lean now to the two bookends in the verse. 
for to me to live is Christ, to die is to gain. Knowing Christ, knowing Christ is all. And just think of the extraordinary thing that Paul is saying here. To die is gain. Now, he unpacks that a bit more in the verses that immediately follow. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. Now, listen to these words. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. My desire is to end or to, to, to be out of this life and be with Jesus, which is far better. That is an extraordinary comment to me. Why? What is death lead to for the Christian? Resurrection to eternal life with Jesus. What is that life like? Listen to Jay's sermon, which is online from this morning. A world without disasters, evil, sickness, and death. That's eternity for the Christian. That's what is the life to come beyond death. So logically, to die is gain. It is an infinitely better life. Now, that is factually true for every Christian believer. To die is gain, and it remains factually true. Whatever circumstances of life we are in, good or ill, we mustn't conclude that Paul is only saying this because he is in prison and facing the threat of execution. He says this all through his life. And ever since I have known Dick Anderson, which is quite a few years now, he has always said, to die is gain. Not just at the end. To die is gain. Two important things to say. First, when we die is not a decision for us to make. And I want to say that in case there is someone listening who is so unhappy that you hear these words as an encouragement to end your life because to die is gain. <laughs> if you are feeling or thinking like that, please seek help and talk to somebody. That is not God's purpose for your life. Talk to me in confidence. Second thing I want to say is this. If it is factually true as it is for every Christian, whatever their circumstances, that to die is gain. If I were the devil, I would do everything within my power to convince us that that is not true. If I lost the battle with someone's head, I would try to go to work as a devil on their heart to really understand that with Christ to die is to gain, is to take away the fear of death. And I am one of these people, and if you know me well, who lives every day paranoid about pandemics and all that stuff and life and death and death and death and death and all to be liberated from a fear of death. 
or to be liberated from the distraction of worrying all the time. And just so I'm clear, I'm not saying that we don't need vaccinations and all that stuff. We absolutely do. Please do that for the sake of others. What I am saying, though, is that we need not live life in perpetual, perpetual fear because for us to die is to gain. And what a tragedy it would be if the Christian church did not preach the gospel for the next year or two because we were too afraid. And I say these things not for a moment glibly, And nor did the Apostle Paul. Maybe for you it is not fear of death or the worries of life that distract you, but the pleasures of life that entice you, or the priorities of life that lure you, success for you, for your kids. Paul prays for us that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The approval of what is excellent, knowledge that abounds in love, that we can say, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is to gain. For me to say it, for you to say it, in your head, in your heart, and for us as a church to live it out like our heartbeat and pulse. Now, we conclude by thinking about our life as Christians, this side of eternity, for to me to live is Christ. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ. How does Paul describe his life now? Think of the life that is ahead of you on the earth. What are you going to do? To live is Christ. Jesus is everything. Fruitful labor for him. Your progress and joy in the faith. If I can only help someone grow as a Christian, if I can only help someone find joy in their faith, if in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ, a life that leads people to glory in Christ. Notice all the stuff is about how I can bless, and be used by God for others. In my life, Jesus is all. I will labor for Him. I will seek your progress, your joy in the faith. I will live for Christ, to point you to Christ, so that you will glory in Christ. Think of a church where everyone knows that to die is to gain and the perspective, the freedom, the purpose that gives. Think of a church where there is fruitful labor, where your progress is my concern, where my progress is yours, where your joy is my burden, and your burden is for my joy. Think of a church where all across the church our heartbeat is to bring glory to Christ, whether in life or in death. Let me summarize all of that into simple things. This is what it means to live for Christ. Love Him and live to advance His gospel. That's it.
and I saved the best to last. Twice Paul says, I will rejoice. If I have been a little bit moved tonight, it is because these things move us. And because I am rejoicing. And this is proper rejoicing. It's not like surface rejoicing, is it? If you ask me or any Christian, I would try and find as many different ways of saying to you that the most important thing is Jesus and the advance of his gospel and only therein. Reuben said it, only therein. Can you this side of eternity find true purpose and true joy Let's pray. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And our Father, may the answer to that prayer be the heartbeat of Chalmers Church, the heartbeat of every Christian in Chalmers Church, and we pray the heartbeat of someone tonight for the first time who can say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain.